G'day community and welcome to the X Supercoach Podcast. I am Dog, and I'm joined by a very, very special guest, Tim from, well, what's your official title? Tim, King of Supercoach from Herald Sun slash Supercoach HQ? No, definitely not King Lech. Our pattern is the king uh, and then the Phantoms, probably his, uh, his two IC, so I just file in under those two guys and um, try and provide a bit of help here and there. But glad to be able to jump on with um, yourself before the Jock Reynolds podcast officially signs off. You've been such an institution of the Supercoach community for so long. So I'm um, glad I could get on a, a podcast before you guys call it a day. Mate, we've been trying to get this organised for about, <laughs> I don't know how long our group chat's been going, but for a long, long time, we've been trying to organise this. <laughs> It has been a while, and I'm glad. I'm glad we've made it happen. So, uh, what are we? Uh, um, five weeks to go in the season, and um, I think you've still got a few trades left, which is good because I can come on and talk about the fact that I've had no trades now for a couple of weeks, which, as you can imagine, isn't really working out that well for me. But um, no, great, great to jump on and hello to all your, your listeners as well. I'm sure they're going to enjoy the last four or five weeks of uh, of Jock Reynolds' podcast and soak it in before uh, yourself and, and Patch and all the guns from Jock Reynolds uh, hang up the boots in retirement. Well, I should say, because it's not, everyone's not completely disappearing. So there, while there is only, what, this, this four podcasts left for the year, there will probably be a couple at the end of the season, just sort of, we'll get a few people on to talk about the experiences and, and go through a few of our best memories, all that sort of rubbish we'll be doing. So, don't unsubscribe. And the other thing you should be doing is going to the footy mailbag. Look it up on Twitter or x.com, which it's wonderfully been rebranded, or go to Facebook, the footy mailbag. That's where Clarkie and Damo are heading. They're taking the mailbag on the road. They're moving out of, of home and they're uh, they're going out into the big wide world on their own. And it's going to be a great podcast. It's got great Plenty of great guests already lined up for next season. It won't just be Supercoach. There'll be a bit of other stuff in there as well. So the footy mailbag, make sure you get that. And while we're plugging things, you guys are putting on a bit of a uh, a bit of a show in a few weeks, aren't you? Yeah, I think it's uh, the date's been changed a bit, uh, just to a couple of um, just due to a couple of sort of scheduling issues, unfortunately. But the latest that I heard was that uh, we're down for the eighteenth, which I think is um 18th of august obviously that'll be so we're coming towards sort of the end of the footy season then but going to be a bit of an event at uh at crown where there's going to be Heath Shaw and um a couple of other uh super coaches that uh, are ranked a lot higher than i am i'm hopefully jp last year's winner will be there and m chalice and um a few few other podcasters as well so gonna be good to get everyone together and, and reminisce about what went right and um what went wrong which uh, has happened a fair bit to my side in recent weeks, but uh, it'd be good to get everyone together and 
have a beer and, uh, yeah, reminisce about the season. And I, I think uh, it's the night of the Collingwood-Geelong game. So the latest that I heard from Al was that we're calling it a bit of a Nick Dacos appreciation night and we're all just going to get there and talk about how much we love Nick Dacos as he scores 120 like he does every week. Yeah, well, that would put that on August the 11th. I think you said the nineteenth. Oh, well, maybe earlier, maybe was... that was maybe uh, maybe we got pushed back from that day, but yeah, we Collingwood played both days. We went we went from the fourth to the eleventh, and the latest I heard was the eighteenth. But definitely, um, if you follow the official Supercoach account on Twitter or myself or Al Patton, um, yeah, as soon as we sort of lock that in and, and have the official times and all that sort of stuff, we'll be sure to let people know about that. But it's definitely coming up at some stage in August, and yeah, we're looking forward to. Uh, getting down to Crown and, and hanging out with everyone else that loves Supercoach as much as we do. Bloody beautiful stuff. Follow all the channels. Keep an eye on that. Let's talk Supercoach. Let's talk about what the fans want to hear. The Blues domination of West Coast Eagles yeah. and Charlie Kerno's 178 Supercoach points. Well, as a bloke, uh, one of the guys in our office, Lech, uh, traded in Charlie Kerno, I think about five or six weeks ago. And this is a guy that's finished... <laughs> Top 10 before as well. He's our um, AFL Chiever staff, Will, and so he clearly knows what he's talking about in Supercoach. But um, I, I know uh, myself and Al raised a few eyebrows when he went for Charlie Kerno as his, his point of difference maybe just over a month ago. But you look at his scores in, in the last six weeks now, he hasn't dropped below 81, and um, he, he's just feasted, hasn't he, in the two games that he's played against the Eagles this year. So kicked nine earlier in the year, 186, and then on the weekend, kicked 10 and scored 178. So you're absolutely flying if you had Charlie Kerno. And um, I think the guy that scored 2,913 to win the round this week had Charlie Kerno as his vice captain, um, which is some sort of move. So well done to him. And yeah, well done to anyone that had Charlie Kerno in their side. I don't think you could have picked at the start of the year, Lech, that um, Charlie Kerno, so he's 474K at the start of the year, but he's averaging. 98, which is sort of unheard of for, for key forwards. We might get one or two a year that maybe push the 100 mark. But, yeah, Charlie Kerno has been super for a large portion of the year and hasn't had too many bad scores in amongst a, a couple of really big ones against the Eagles when he's had days out that, um, yeah, I, I think we'll probably win him the Coleman in five weeks' time as well, the 19 goals that he's now kicked against West Coast too. So awesome from a super coach perspective. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure like me, you sat back and, Enjoyed watching the, the Blues romp at home against uh, West Coast and, and move a step closer to the top eight and put some pressure on some of those those other sides that seem to be um, faltering at the wrong time of the season. Mate, I absolutely loved it. In fact, if you're listening right now and you want to hear more, you can go to the Navy Blue Corner podcast, which I was on cool. uh, this week talking about the game. It's it's funny, Charlie Kerno. we're going to look back at the end of the year or the start of next year when all of the forward mids have lost their forward status. So he's going to be about the fifth-ranked forward at the start of next year. He's going to be way overpriced, and and I'm going to have to sell everyone on him at the start of next year. But I think the highlight coming out of the, the Carlton West Coast game, and I'm, I'm starting there because, I mean, I like Carlton, but it, it had to be George Hewitt, mate. Traded him into my side, made cash trading George Wardlaw to George Hewitt, loopholed him, and he gave me a 127 and there's a chance, pending team selections, obviously Walsh injured, which we will touch on in a second, that he might still maintain quite a bit of mid-time over the next few weeks. Blues have caught quite a few injuries. I was very happy with his uh, his efforts. 
oh, as you would be, Matt. So he, he went up 32K after the weekend, but still really nicely priced at, at 292K if you wanted to get on him this week. So that's 320,000 less than what he started the year at. So I think so many of us know how well he scored last year when he averaged 111 points and um, was just about a lock by the end of the season because um, he was listed as a, a deaf mid in, in everyone's KFC Supercoach teams. And um, just been one of those things with the way that Carlton's midfield has, has gone this year, Lech, that uh, Matt Kennedy, after being the sub a couple of times, he stepped up and um, took George Hewitt's role. And then you've got um, Adam Chera, who's just gone to another level in there as well. So when you're trying to fit Kennedy, Cripps, Walsh, um, obviously they all haven't been there at the same time. And then... Um, yeah, you throw Chera in that mix as well. Um, just less Chuck Doherty time, in but, as well. Yeah, for George Hewitt and Sam Doherty spending more time inside too. So Hewitt was the one that got squeezed out, and um, he's probably one of the the players that we've seen had has had whose super coach scoring has had the biggest um, impact from the the new sub rule and the way that that's gone this year. There's definitely been um, a few guys that started oh, nowhere near as high as George Hewitt. So he was 610K at the start of the year and he's lost a lot of money um, just based on coming on as a sub and scoring 20 or 30 points probably four or five times now. But um, there was definitely this year, what, a couple of guys that might have been in that maybe 250 to 300K range, like a Marcus Windhager, for example, who's going really well at the moment that was used as a sub a few times, got down to that sort of 160, 170K and if you jumped on at that stage, you would have been really happy. And and I think that was the case with George Hewitt last week. But I could definitely understand people getting around trading um, maybe a, a dead rookie to George Hewitt this week. Like if you're still hanging on to someone like Nat Fife that looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the year, you can make money by going to George Hewitt this week. Angus Sheldrick's pretty similar. He's out for the rest of the year too. So uh, if you're like me and you've got those two guys sitting on your bench and you've still got to trade up your sleeve, I'd be pretty happy uh, trading one of those two to George Hewitt, even if it means that, like, let's say he's still carrying Tom Green and he misses this week. You'd be more than happy to play George Hewitt in his place this week and then you can loop George Hewitt from M9 for the rest of the year when Carlton gets uh, some of the cavalry back in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think that would be the play with a guy like George Hewitt. They've obviously got Chair and Cripps to come back, Walsh to come out. They probably drop a Dow and, and a Kerno, Ed Kerno, and stuff like that. I still think he has a role, probably not a 127, but he'll probably give you more points on field loopholing than some of these rookie options. You touched on a few guys that are out for the season there. Sean Darcy's another one. Sam Walsh, two to three weeks. Jordan Ridley looks done for the regular AFL season. So we've got a few players we need to address. Let's continue talking, Carlton, for a sec. Let's talk about replacements for Sam Walsh. Or if you have trades, are you trading Sam Walsh? What's your What's your quick opinion on that? Well, I've seen a few people that are in the unfortunate position, like where they've got um, not not – sort of necessarily all of uh, Will Ashcroft, Jordan Ridley and oh, Sam Will Walsh. Ashcroft. How did I miss him? Oh, I'm so sad about Will Ashcroft. I think That's just so having a gun youngster like that out for 12 months is just a travesty for footy, unfortunately, and um, obviously shattered for sort of those that had him in KFC Supercoach as well because, yeah, you were, were sort of really being rewarded for your patience with him and being willing to hold him through the buyers because – his form since the buys has just been awesome. So he got himself up to 510K. But um, just talking about Walsh, if you had, say, Walsh and, and Ridley, we know Ashcroft's out for the rest of the year. So um, let's say you had one trade left and you were going to trade one of Ashcroft and Walsh. Obviously, you'd hold on to Walsh and trade Ashcroft. But 
I think if you're in the boat where you've got Walsh and Ridley, um, you're going to trade Ridley because it looks like, at least unless something goes amiss, that Sam Walsh will play um, before Jordan Ridley does. So I'd be moving Jordan Ridley on in that scenario. But if you are wanting to trade Sam Walsh this week, there's so many good options left. And I'm sort of jealous as I was writing down some of the names that have dropped under 550k or, or even under 600k at this stage of the season that I don't have a trade to um, even sideways um, to some of these players. But you can make a profit by trading Sam Walsh to Zach Butters this week, who's only 529k. I know two is that, that. Is that true? That's true, yeah. So six six k you make <laughs> by doing that trade, which is just crazy. And and Butters played really well on the weekend, scored one hundred and one. So I think you'd make that move in a heartbeat if you don't have Zach I had Butters. No, I'm going to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. You've got guys like Tuke Miller's five hundred and seven k. Hasn't looked his best in the last few weeks since he's come back. And um, strangely, like watching his game on the weekend against uh, GWS, uh, like historically with Tuke, like we've uh, as you know, like we've we've as other players have wilted late in games, like that's when he's gone to his best because he's just an endurance beast and continues to sort of deliver those efforts throughout games, especially late in matches. But um, it has looked like, at least on the eye test, that maybe that time that he had out has um, left him sort of, I don't know, needing a preseason to get back to his absolute best. And he has tied in, in games and he did it again on the weekend. So... I don't know if Tuke Miller really stands out. Around his price, like if you had to, say, go down to a player of about 500k for Sam Walsh, I like Josh Kelly. He's only really had one bad score this year and I'd be loath to probably use my my last trade on him because we know that at hmm. any point he can break down and miss a week or two and you wouldn't want that necessarily to be the case. But he's put together a really consistent year um, having an impact forward or centre as well for GWS too. And he's only 504k at the moment, which is just based on the fact that he had a really low score a few weeks ago. So apart from that, he's had a great season and I think he's really good buying at 504k too. But yeah, can totally understand why you're pretty excited of the uh, by the idea of Butters at 529k because Ooh, mate, it looked like probably two or three weeks ago that he was going to be unattainable for just about everyone when he got around sort of 600, 650k marks. So I think Walsh to Butters will be a, a reasonably popular move. In my head, both Butters and Kelly were still 600k. Honestly, that shows how much I've been. I've been so focused on the bargains that I've actually missed the guys that have become bargains. Uh, yeah. Some risk there with Josh Kelly, as you said, but been really good this year. Had that full game where he scored 27 or whatever it was after being tagged. Uh, was, yeah. it Finn, was that a Finn McGuinness tag? Was that a scalp was, from yeah. the great yeah. Finn McGuinness? Um, but again, we've we've seen his ceiling, 148, 139, 129, 164, some high scores this year. And generally his low scores have been around the, the 90 mark, a couple of 80s, but for the most part around the 90s. And has some really high scores against the opponents coming up through the rest of the year if he can get through. Bulldogs high score 132, Sydney 119, Port Adelaide 130. But it's the last two games that really excite me. For a Kelly, mm-hmm. Essendon, uh, he averages 105 against them. And he actually against has the Blues in, in round 24, and he averages 123 points against us. Yeah. That's helped he by a 205. That's he always huge. scores about 180 against Carlton, as both of us would know would know very well. But Absolutely. Um, just, just looking at Butters' leck, just to go back over him, he's, he's actually cheaper than he started the year now, which is crazy to think about. So he lost 23800 on the weekend, which makes him $300 cheaper than he started the year. So 
Uh, he's still got a break even of 120, so you'd probably get him even cheaper next week, but you need to make the, the wealth trade now, so I wouldn't hold off for, I don't know, getting him 5K cheaper next week. But, yeah, very strange to see him cheaper than he um, he was at the start of the year, considering how good he's been uh, throughout most of this season. Yeah, I, I definitely – he's someone I'm, I'm going to look at myself this week now that I know is that price. I'm contemplating – this is crazy. I'm contemplating two trades, one Walsh downgrade and one like a Dylan Moore or a Bailey Day luxury trade. That's where I'm currently sitting, trying to fix that. Another player, if you want a Sam Walsh replacement you want and you don't you want to make cash, Callum Mills has been in my team for the last few weeks. Priced at 462 over the last four what four weeks i bought him in after the west coast game when he returned from injury i think he was priced at about 400k 430k he scored 106 99 84 and 107 we know that this guy he's he's struggled this year with his health a bit and his scoring hasn't been at the upper echelon but we've seen him double ton for fun before this guy i think it's a, a high upside play potentially as an m9 but worst case scenario you could sit him at M8 and I think he's going to be pretty serviceable. Yeah, definitely. And we saw only a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, like when he went into the last quarter, I think it might have been against Richmond on about 40 or 45 points and then scored close to 60 in the last quarter. He's just got that huge ceiling based on um, contested possessions and his efficiency as well. So he was actually a little bit down in that game, which is why he didn't score probably as high as some people might have wanted. But I think he's a really good option at, at 462k. I was sort of spewing that um, I'd burned too many trades to that point of the season that I couldn't get him because, um, yeah, when he got right down towards 400k, I thought, like, this is one of the better bargains that we're going to get all year in KFC Supercoach. And I did note that John Longmire said after that win over Frio that um, they played him a little bit more on the outside than is generally the case, which is why Errol Goulden was inside. And unfortunately, that um, his scoring took a big dive because of that. Um, probably playing in a, a more unfamiliar role, but um, Mills sort of relished that that role a bit more on the outside, didn't he? Scored a ton and uh, looked really good. I, I thought he moved well. So I know that this um, Longmire was saying we're going to wait and see how he pulls up this week, but yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if um, if anything um, happened that meant that he didn't play this week. So uh, I think yeah, of the value options, he's one that stands out, but. I really like two in particular, Leck, and, and I think it's just based on sort of some of the injury carnage that we've seen come out of the weekend. And um, two guys that are actually cheaper than Callum Mills are, are Luke Jackson at Fremantle and Mason Redman, who are both 457k. Uh, Luke Jackson's going to do the ruck work for the rest of the year. Ryan Daniels, uh, one of the best reporters over in the West, sort of reporting that Sean Darcy's year looks like it's done now officially. So Luke Jackson's going to be the number one ruckman for the rest of the year. He's a ruck forward, so you can sit him in your forward line too, which is even better. Uh, and three games he's played this year without Sean Darcy, he scored 119, 118 and 100. And as Fantasy Freako tweeted uh, this week, uh, he had a career high hitouts to advantage in round 19. So I really like Luke Jackson as a pod, but I think Mason Redmond's going to absolutely go bananas from here on in because he's going to monopolise those kickouts. And he absolutely feasts on teams at the lower uh, point of the ladder as well and we know that Essendon have got uh, West Coast and North Melbourne coming up in a couple of weeks and the Red Dogs scored 144 against West Coast earlier in the year so uh, yeah if you need if you want to say make two trades like you this week free up a bit of cash by getting rid of Walsh and you make 75k by going to Jackson and Redmond and I think both of them are going to finish the year really strongly. 
Yeah, Luke Jackson's one that I've definitely got my eye on. If you've got someone like a Seamus Mitchell, it's a, well, I don't know what the jump is, about 80K, uh, maybe a little more, 987K, 90K, something like that, from a Seamus Mitchell to a Luke Jackson, which isn't outrageous. Um, Gives you that DPP flexibility. I think a lot of people out there would have a forward ruck R3, which will give you cover for any of these questionable ruckmen throughout the rest of the year. And I, I really like that as an option. And Given how popular a guy like Darcy Cameron's been, well, we know what Luke Jackson can do without Sean Darcy. I think he's a very attractive offer this week. Redmond again as well. And I, I, I've said this before, I think I prefer Redmond when Essendon are losing and maybe this is being hopeful. I think Essendon are going to keep losing throughout the remainder of the year. Don't even know what their run is. Just feel like they're going to dip a bit. And generally that means good scoring for Mason Redmond. Yeah, no, they definitely stand out for good reason. So I think what some people have overlooked, like, in, like it's going to be an issue this week, I was looking at my team and um, we heard Ross Lyon say after the St Kilda North Melbourne game on the weekend that Rowan Marshall was line ball and, and was almost a late out and Tom Campbell almost played in his place. And what <laughs> Give you nine, most yes. of this, like I certainly haven't factored in, is that like Collingwood plays so early in the round in a lot of games that if you're trying to use Darcy Cameron as ruck cover, he could be locked out by the time that St Kilda plays. And if Rowan Marshall is banged up and is a laid out in any of the next couple of weeks, like you might not have that option to swing Darcy Cameron with Nick Madden and then use him to cover a Rowan Marshall out. So I think St Kilda plays the first game on Sunday this week and Collingwood plays the first game of the round against Carlton. So there's an example where unless we know about Rowan Marshall during the week, and, and uh, Russell Lane comes out and says he's just he's just no good. We're going to have to give him a week off, and we're going to bring Tom Campbell in. Like we won't have that flexibility, unfortunately, to use Darcy Cameron. So, uh, if you have been tossing up Decam, who was awesome against Port Adelaide the other night, and Luke Jackson, maybe look at that um, or the fixturing over the next five weeks and see what sort of flexibility getting either of those two in um, might do for your team because it might be that Fremantle plays more Sunday games and that allows you to have a look at any laid outs or anything in your rucks and, and maybe Luke Jackson is an even more attractive option for that reason. Yeah, I think it's a good shout. I think there's two things we obviously need to focus on. One is flexibility and the other is probably durability. So durability comes with picking guys that should be there every week and flexibility comes with picking guys with DPP because there are coaches out there with trades left, not many trades left, but there are coaches out there with trades left. And um, if you can turn those, it's, it's super valuable. It's super important to use that trade or those trades really wisely from here out, particularly if you're playing for rank, but even if you're playing for league, a lot of people you're playing against have zero trades left. So if you can bring in a guy that can play across two lines uh, and in, in the case of like a Luke Jackson, he's the only option they have in the ruck. It just is going to give you a real edge, particularly given how high people are scoring at the moment. Any edge you can get, Tim, is going to be important. Like 2,900, did you say, was the, the leading? Yeah, 2,913. It was, I thought I'd done it right, like, because I had an absolute stinker. Like, I can't, I can't remember having, apart from the buy rounds in previous years, like, I can't remember having a super coach week as bad as I had last round. Like, I think I played with 21. I had Campbell Chester on my field who scored about 20 uh, as part of my 21 and I barely cracked 2,100 and, and rightfully because um, it was such a bad week, lost about a 1,000 spots in the rankings. But I thought I'd bounce back. I 
saw my score tick over 2,500 on Sunday afternoon and I thought, oh, brilliant, like we've had a bit of a bounce back here and then um, logged in on, on Sunday night and I think I lost about three or 400 spots again. So it really is the time of the year where the sort of cream of the crop are absolutely sort of rising to the top and, and as you say, like people with trades are able to take advantage of them by, I don't know, when Josh Dunkley misses two weeks, they just move him on and they get better scores in for those two weeks while some of us cop 25s from Chesser and Matt Johnson and that makes a huge difference in the rankings at the end of the day. So hopefully we get um, at least those of us like me that don't have trades left, that like we get Tom Green back and we get Rory Laird back this week and we can get close to having those full premium squads because it's been pretty tough in the last couple of weeks with uh, a fair bit of the premium carnage around. But, yeah, definitely if you've if you've held trades, you, you've really been rewarded. And it's been one of the interesting aspects of Supercoach this year that I think we saw last year that a lot of the coaches that did really well were the aggressive ones that went um, helpful leather with their trades and upgraded their team as quickly as possible. But it definitely looks like this year that it's been the opposite and coaches who have been conservative and held on to trades for the run home are going to be the ones that, that prosper at the end of the year and that make a strong run home and, and really push for those top thousand spots. Yeah, I think that I think that there's a couple of things to consider there. One, there's one extra round, obviously, so that, that adds to the to the, probably the importance of trades. But I think we just had a really good crop of rookies and, and cheapies to start the year. And if you if you had the right mix and you had the right ones uh, and kept them you know when other people are jumping off, I think it. I think being patient was probably what set people up this year. And I'll put one asterisk in there: the people who were patient with Clayton Oliver were not rewarded. And I think that was a big, a big defining moment in the season so far. Oh yeah, mate. I was, I was one of them. So I only got rid of him last week. Even, even two weeks ago, when it was confirmed that he was out for another three or four, um, I looked at the options available and. It was like, no, James Sicily's only one week away, so I won't trade him to Dan Houston, uh, who was the option I was looking at. And Dan Houston's had a really good three weeks that could have been in my side, but thank God James Sicily rebounded on the weekend because holding Clayton Oliver for that long, then going to James Sicily and getting a Eddie Ford tag and a 58 out of James Sicily, like, it just <laughs> couldn't have been any worse. You thought, like, surely after that eight weeks or 10 weeks or however long it was of Clayton Oliver pain that the, the super coach gods will um, give me a bit of leeway and, and let me get a good James Sicily scoring. But Eddie Ford tags him out the game. And yeah, then Sisdog was actually absolutely awesome on the weekend. And he's got St Kilda this week who uh, he scored 170 against earlier in the year. So hopefully my patience is rewarded there, but I can definitely get what you're saying about Oliver because yeah, if you moved him on straight away and got a premium in, like Zach Merritt was at his lowest price around about that time, went on a really hot run. I think that week might have even been the week he got the the one sixty against Richmond. So you did that, you made some made probably a hundred K at that point, and you're able to get another gun into your team and, and Merritt has only had one bad score really since um, that point of the year. Whereas yeah, we're still waiting to see Clayton Oliver again and and I thought like that and it might have been the case at the time I thought he was only gonna miss two weeks and they did say he was going to be back in two and then yeah things have just gone very awry since then and um for all sorts of reasons he still hasn't got back on the footy field so um yeah it's it's it was just just goes to show like and and it's the case with a lot of calls at, at this time of the year that sometimes you have those those 50 50s or those those one little decisions that um those yeah that one or two decisions that can make all the difference in, in Supercoach and 
another one of those on the weekend, Lech, like I think I mentioned him already, but um, I've got Angus Sheldrick sitting there on my bench at the moment and it was out of him and Marcus Windhager to bring in probably hmm. two, three weeks ago and thought I was a hero when I got on Sheldrick because his first two scores in my team were great and I was relying on him for cover at that point, but boy, would I like to have Windhager there now because I wouldn't have to play Eddie Ford or I wouldn't have to play Matt Johnson and, and cop these low scores from them because Windhager's been awesome the last couple of weeks and yeah, he was a big reason that St Kilda came back and won that game against North Melbourne on the weekend too. So if you got Marcus Windhager in for cover, I reckon you'd, you'd be absolutely laughing with the form that he's shown in the last two or three weeks. Mate, he's been bloody fantastic. I think I think one thing that maybe next year we need to remember, which we're, I think we're all guilty of this, was we burnt through all those trade boosts I think most coaches did before the buys or or at least during the buys to maximise points on field. And I think if we look forward the, to next year, you're probably going to want to keep one of them up your sleeve for, for one of these later weeks where hopefully you've also got trades to do it. But, you know, a, a week where an Oliver goes down or it doesn't get up and a Sheldrick goes down and a blah, 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 and all the, you know, you're losing Dunkley as well and Laird and all these guys go down at once. We're probably going to need those trade boosts next year just to carry us through. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it, though? Like, I, I, I told myself at the start of the year, I'm like, no, this is going to be the year where you don't make ridiculous trades and you don't let yourself down by burning all your trade boosts by round seven or round eight like I did the first year that they were introduced. And you're going to at least have one left for the buyers because I recall Patch, uh, I think it might have been round 13 or round 14 last year, using four trades and his team looked great for one of those buy rounds. And I thought, no, I'm going to replicate that this year and I'm going to use four trades in one of the buys and I'm going to absolutely go bang and, and hopefully start a um, great second half of the season. But of course I burned all my trades by the all my boosts by the buys. Um, I was quickly running out of trades to the point where I almost didn't get Kieran Briggs in because I knew I'd have to use two trades, getting him in and out, which I did do in the end, which worked out quite well throughout the buys. But um yeah I, I don't know like as i said like it last year if you were aggressive you would have been rewarded and, and this year it's probably more the conservative track that um is going to allow people to do well at the end of the season in super coach but who knows what it'll be next year like maybe we'll get a better run with injuries or um people that um go go hard at the start of the year might be the ones that end up doing well so that's probably one of the the beauties of our game that no year is is really the same and you have to sort of adapt, adapt your strategy on the fly and um, try and come up with the best moves um, sort of week to week and and based on form and selection and, and all sorts of other things. So it can be frustrating at times, no doubt. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us will have learned a lot of things this year and maybe, and I say that because it's going to be hard when, I don't know, we're five rounds in next year and you're sitting 15K overall. It's going to be pretty hard to not burn a boost to try and catch up and, tell yourself that you can make up those 10 or 12K spots and get yourself up to the top 1% at the end of the season. But maybe that's the one thing that most of us should take away from this year, that you don't have to go hard at the start of the year to finish in the top 1K because we're, we're seeing people make 1,000, 2,000 spots a week at the moment with some of the massive scores that are going around. Yeah, uh, I think for sure. I think you touched on it. It's the beauty of the game is you, you obviously can't predict it we're just putting names on a piece of paper, but that's stuff's got to happen in the real world to to make those numbers go up or down. So, uh, super coach, super coach is real, like, don't... Well, you know what I mean. Like, we've got to uh, no, no, super coach is real, super coach is life. But 
all it takes is Clayton Oliver, who's never missed a game in his bloody career, to have a two-week injury and then he's out for 11, 12, yeah. 13 weeks and you're in a very different position. Like, how, how could you know? You can't, but that's why it's yeah. fun. The most the most durable player in, in Supercoach going down for that one. Jack Steele's been pretty, pretty uh, bloody durable as well and he's missed so many chunks of this season as well, but he was really good against North Melbourne. Um like I just want to throw a couple of other names at you because there's no got to be way. some people out there that um, say they've got Sam Walsh and have got a bit of cash in the bank and they're like, okay, well, if I can get to a gun, like who should I be looking at for the next couple of weeks? And I think if you watch that game between North Melbourne and St Kilda at the weekend and you've got 50K sitting there spare, you'd be wanting to get on Luke Davies, Uniaki, wouldn't you? This guy is an absolute super coach beast and I, I really hope that we get a 22-game or 23-game season out of him at some point because he could be the number one midfielder in Supercoach if we get a full season out of him. And I think he's had three separate injuries this year. Um, you already talked about durability. I know people that are bringing him in at this stage of the season are taking a risk that he is going to be there for the rest of the year. But when he plays, you're going to get pretty handsomely rewarded. And um, he, he puts out these 130-plus scores on the regular. And I think if you can get to 586K, you'd be pretty damn happy trading Luke Davies Uniaki before he plays West Coast this week. Yeah, he's he's a massive target for me. I, I, he's been in the cheat sheet basically every round. Yeah, every round since he came back in round sixteen, when you could have got him at sub five hundred k, four ninety four k, ninety four one thirty four, one twenty nine, and one thirty three since he came back. The only question on him, yeah, again, is is can he stay on the park? But the scoring is unbelievable. Was averaging. 149 after the first two rounds when everyone sort of then he missed round three and sort of started missing games after that but you're right he does this has done this the last couple of years where the back half of his his super coach season is has been immense and we go is is this the year that he's an uber primo and we're going to be asking that question next year but right now this man's a bloody uber primo yeah, great matchup this week as well. And, and like you think about great matchups and already talked about the fact that Mason Redmond's got uh, North Melbourne and Essendon coming up in the next couple of weeks, but that means that Darcy Parrish does as well. So uh, he's 3K less than Luke Davies Uniac. And uh, you won't necessarily get those huge scores out of Darcy Parrish because we know he needs about 40 disposals just to score 110. But um, I think he'll, he should have two massive weeks, at least in those weeks where Essendon plays against... Um, West Coast and, and North Melbourne and similarly priced as well, actually a little bit cheaper than those two guys. Caleb Strong's 568k and our man Sam Doherty who picked up DPP a few weeks ago, he's 562k and he looked really good in Carlton's midfield on the weekend and, and probably going to spend a bit more time there in the next few weeks. So I do like the idea of trading in someone with DPP if you're going down to your last trade. So maybe that's a factor that you've got to consider if you're weighing up Sarong, Parish, Luke Davies, Uniaki versus Sam Doherty does the fact that he's deaf mid and you might need that extra cover to, say, swing him from your defence or from your midfield back to your defence at some point. Does that put him ahead of these three other guys in that sort of similar price bracket? Yeah, I think that definitely needs to be a decision. I think I think you get the guy with the most points and I'm quite conservative with super coach. but if I can't decide between a Sam Doherty and an LDU, the defensive DPP will be that deciding factor for me. So I think obviously you need to have the the defensive, like the DPPs existing in your team to be able to work. Like I've still got yes. Dunkley in my mids. He's my only forward mid that 
in that line, but he has to stay there because if he doesn't stay there, then I lose access to Taranto, Rosie, Goulden, McRae, Ganilio, all those guys. So, yeah, it is definitely a factor, but you also need to make sure you can actually utilise that DPP uh, connector. I I also like, and I I was really hard watching, like not having him on the weekend because the number of times St Kilda got the ball from like 20, 25 metres out, like, you know, like this is a Lady Amazair goal. Like the Saints just can't miss and they missed. And then who was sitting there picking up the ball from the kid sitting there with the three or four balls waiting to go, Harry Sheasel. And he just, I, I haven't actually looked at his kick-out numbers. He must add close to 15 because like he was just there swooping up easy ball for the whole game. Um, and he's still only 467k. I know a lot of people still have him, so you'd be listening going, shut up, Tim, like I was just enjoying his score on the weekend and I don't want anyone to trade him in. But unless Jack Zebel gets back into the 22, which it looks like North Melbourne has no plans to bring him back in. He's been the sub for about three or four weeks in a row now and sitting on the bench doing some coaching and um, like playing what's probably a pretty important role in a in a young North Melbourne team, but I don't think we're going to see him back in the 22 for the rest of the year unless something changes, maybe when Clarko comes back in. So if you don't have Harry Sheasel and you want to get on uh, before he probably racks up a heap of ball against West Coast on the weekend at 467k, don't hate the idea of bringing him back in. But as we know, like it always takes, like it's always that little bit harder, isn't it, to trade in a player that you've already traded out. And I think most of us would have, if we were thinking about bringing him back in this week, he probably would have already been in our team at some point earlier in the year. Yeah, it, it hurts to to bring a guy back in, particularly like a first-year guy. So I traded Ashcroft relatively early. I traded out Sheasel during the buys, and it sort of really hurt not having them. Here's how he's gone sort of the last, let's call it last one, two, three, four, five weeks because that, that's the games he's been taking kick-ins. Uh, starting from last week, eight kick-ins, Played on from seven, five kick-ins played in from four, two kick-ins played on, two kick-ins played on, six kick-ins played on from six. So he, they're just free cheapies. He's spending, again, more time back in that defensive lineup, which we've seen him play in quite a few areas, but that's where he's been looking dangerous, at least from a super coach point of view. And he's one of the few guys who seems to have some sort of composure back there as well. So I'm hopeful he'll stay there. And I'm like you, I don't really see Zebel getting back in and I don't see him getting back into the defense. Maybe they bring him in and play him forward again for a couple of games, but yeah, I just don't know if I can bring myself, A, to rely on a first-year player as good as he is for the run home. I just feel like I just can't. I'd rather trade in a Redman who I I'm, think I yeah. can trust, but Sheasel does have that forward defense swing and he's really good, and he's got a good role. So I'm certainly not against trading him in if, yeah, someone out there who had previously traded him. Yeah, well, I said on the work podcast a couple of weeks ago that I, I did think that Sheezer was going to tire at some point because it just makes sense. First-year player, played every game, um, playing a huge role in just about every game as well. So you think he's going to get tired at some point, surely, especially when what through his sort of under-18 footy he's playing as kind of a small, medium forward, and he's had to play as a midfielder, as a running halfback. So he's playing um, at the highest possible intensity in, in AFL matches in his first season. But he just looked awesome against St Kilda on the weekend. Like uh, there, there'd be some games where, like I quite often watch a guy like Luke Ryan, like I did against um, Sydney on the weekend. And I'm just like, how does this guy score so many points? Like he <laughs> takes the occasional intercept mark. He just bombs at 65 metres down the line to packs. And I'm like, I oh, 
I don't really love the way that this guy plays. Like, I, I know that there's a, a formula that goes into super coach scoring and everything that means that his style of play attracts a lot of points, but I, I don't love, like, he doesn't have a huge influence on games necessarily because of the way he plays. But then I look at someone like Harry Sheasel on the weekend and, and you can understand why people are, okay, some of these disposals are a bit cheap, but, like, he, he was winning his own ball around the ground. He works so hard to get the footy um, and he's doing it at, 18, 19 years of age in a team that's getting smashed every week. So, um, like, I really loved his game on the weekend. It was one of those few times where, uh, like, I hate trading out guys and seeing them score well, but it was one of the few times where there was a guy that I'd had in my team earlier in the year. I was like, okay, I can cop this because, like, this kid has just played so well. And he was probably one of those guys that, like, North Melbourne probably deserved to win that game anyway, but definitely someone like Harry Sheasel deserved to have a win on the weekend because he's been so good for so long for that team. So, as I said, like, well done if people have held on to him. Um, and, yeah, I definitely think you could think about bringing him in again this week, but I like what you're saying about maybe some of those more proven options as well. There's a lot of bargains out there, so maybe you don't have to go back to a, a rookie just in case there is that off chance that, North Melbourne gets a few players back from injury and they choose to manage him with a couple of rounds to go, which is always the the off chance for a, a rookie in their first season. But we know like Harry Sheasel's not a normal rookie, is he? Yeah, I think to, now this might be disjointed. I'm just going to tell people I accidentally pulled the microphone out and we had to re-record this bit. Uh, <laughs> I think moving forward though, Tim, my attitude towards Sheasel and all sort of top-end first year players is going to change from a super coach perspective i'm so attuned to oh they can't play out the year once they get to 200 300k trade them out move on but it started with walsh a little bit it was highlighted by Dacos, and then we saw ashcroft and sheasel this year both be guys that have just maintained and i think i've been talking to a few people around the around the traps they're just much earlier in their career now Players are becoming professional football players. Their training regimes, their health, how they manage their bodies, how much they train, their loads, what's expected of them. It's all drilled in at a much younger age nowadays. It's way more professional. I think it was actually Heath Shaw at the last Supercoach event who was telling me this. And what I should have done with that information is take it, remember it, and think, okay, Ashcroft and Ashizel, they're probably one week of a 50 is not, is not a trend for them because they're way more... Um, developed than than the guys we probably grew up playing the game with. So yeah, for the for the top end talent anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a more conservative approach moving forward. And I'll, with the 123k guys, we can keep running that the same way. But yeah, they, these are special players, as you said. I think probably my biggest thing that I've learned about rookies this year, Lek, and and probably something I've learned over the last couple really is that I seem to be sort of too hasty to cash in. So I see a guy get to what I think is the top of their value. So you might see a rookie get to, I don't know, 350K with a break-even of 70 and an average of 75. And you're like, okay, well, I've made just about all the cash that I can get out of this guy. So I'm not going to bother keeping him. I'm going to offload him this week and I'm going to get a premium in as soon as possible. But a number of times, and I'm seeing it with even a guy like Rory Atkins at the moment, who's got a three-round average of 99. Like I traded him out What probably when he hit 320k maybe for example he's made another 50k since then but he's scoring really well and playing really well for Gold Coast at the moment too so I'd love to have someone like that still in my team that I could swing between D7 and M9 and get decent cover 
Um, and yeah, like you said, when we've got these more reliable rookies like Sheasel and, and Ashcroft, Sheasel was a harder one to hold this year because he had that really difficult buy. That's um, true. I, I know I traded out Zebel and Sheasel that same week, whereas a lot, so of did I. Only, a lot of people only traded out Zebel and kept Harry Sheasel, so they were definitely rewarded on the weekend. But yeah, that's definitely something that I'm going to try and take on board um, with the rookies going forward to not um, sort of make hasty decisions, even if it means losing five or 10K if I hold them for an extra couple of weeks, um, because there's always that off chance that you get a spike score, you get 110 or 120, and straight away you restart that cash gen like we've seen with uh, Will Ashcroft, for example. I don't think many people that traded him out at round 12 thought he was going to get above 500K. Um, but if he hadn't got injured on the weekend, he might have ended up closer to 550K before he peaked in price. So definitely worth being a bit more patient on some of these guys and um, maybe being prepared to even cop a couple of weeks of um, sort of cash loss just to have an extra look at, at rookies and try and work out whether it really is worth trading them out or not. Yeah, 100%. I think particularly with the high-end guys that we're talking about, their flaws are probably high enough that even if they have a shit game, you can continue with them. I probably overreacted on a couple of those guys and now you look at it and it's like instead of having an Ashcroft on my bench, I've got Johnson scoring 29 points from Frio. So um, there's always going to be good rookies and bad rookies, but I think when we've identified some good ones, we probably need to give them the benefit of the doubt a lot more than than we have in, in previous years. And Maybe the really good coaches out there have always done that, and this is just something that I'm finally coming to. Hey, like the other factor that comes in at this time of the year, it doesn't happen every year, and it's not guaranteed to happen again next year, but is coach changes, which as you get closer to the end of the season, there's always a chance that there'll be one. And Stephen King's coming up at the Suns, and he's unleashed a couple of guys and just said, like, I want you in my team. Atkins is one of those. Like, he's come back into the team He's playing that role, seagulling across half-back that he does so well. And, like, the thing that I really like about him, he's, he's 370K, so I wouldn't trade him in now. But, like, I watched his game against GWS on the weekend, and he's one of those players that, they like, they try and give the ball to, similar to mm-hmm. what I think Mason Redmond's going to be for Essendon. Now, Jordan Ridley's not there. Like, they look sideways or they look to handball to this particular player, and that's the sort of player that you want in your super coach team because they're getting easy handball receives. Um, they're getting those 20 metre sideways kicks to them and they're the ones that are being used because they use the ball well um, in the next chain. So I, I think that's that's yeah something that you want to take on board. But the other one with Stephen King coming in at the Suns is that Sam Flanders is now 467K. Oh, and I, like, I feel so sorry for Al Patton because he started him and I know there were a lot of people out there that were pretty bullish on Sam Flanders as well and thought like this, this guy has the talent, like he just needs the opportunity. And how long, like Stewie do, um, he, he did some good things at the Suns, no doubt, but one of the things that he was really sort of rigid on was that he had his midfield three and he just had Tuke Miller, he had Matthew Real, and he had Noah Anderson. Occasionally he stuck David Swallow in there, but he didn't really give anyone else a lot of midfield opportunity apart from those three guys. And they were getting 70-plus percent at CBAs pretty much every game. So these guys that were on the periphery, like Sam Flanders, weren't getting... Like when, when he was coming into the team, he's scoring 50s because he's a midfielder playing at half forward just because he has shown as a junior that he can kick the occasional goal. So Stephen King, um, and it did happen a little bit due to Tuke Miller being out as well in the, the latter part of Stewie Dew's um, tenure at the Suns, but um, Stephen King's kept Sam Flanders in there even with Tuke Miller in the team 
and it's really paying off. Like his last four or five weeks, he's been one of the best performed forwards in, in KFC Supercoach and you can still buy him for less than 500K. So if you are keen to uh, get on the Flanders train for the last five weeks, he's still at an affordable price too. So I think that's something that um, when we're talking about holding trades and that sort of thing for the later part of the year, just worth noting going forward as well, because if there's a coach change late in the year, it can definitely open up some uh, some options of, of plays that you might not have thought about or, or opportunities for guys that uh, might have been on the fringes that we were waiting and, and just knocking on the door to get a chance like Flanders. Yeah, I, I think that's a great shout. He, he's one that I had on my list to sort of mention as a Walsh downgrade option. It, and it's not just coach changes, it, it's player retirements, it's guys getting you know, at this point of the year who know they're, they're not going to be at their club. A lot of stuff opens up in the back part of the year and traditionally we've used the start of the season or the buy rounds to sort of make our run in Supercoach in terms of ranks, but maybe it's the the back of the season you look at when there's a bit more un- in instability and you can kind of pick up a few a few curveballs with low per- ownership, low percent ownership because, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, at, there's enough examples. Zeeble. Look at Zebra like we're just talking about. You wouldn't have thought that Jack Siebel would be the sub for a month, um, maybe four or five weeks ago, but that's how Brett Ratner's used him and, and might change under Alistair Clarkson. But but that's another good example of what you were saying. Like North Melbourne has probably gone, well, we can continue to play Jack Siebel, who's not going to be here next year, or we can get Lockie Young into the team. Uh, we can get Josh Goto back at the team. We can give some of these younger guys a go in defence and yeah, Young and Goto aren't super coach relevant at, at this stage of the year anyway, but um they're just another example of yeah that those sort of calls that clubs make at this time of the year that um can end up having flow-on effects for Supercoach like they have for a guy for uh, like harry sheasel who's getting plenty of free pill because uh Zeeble and, and aaron all aren't there anymore no 100 percent. well tim we got to wrap it up there we've i think we've had a really solid discussion here about some tactics we should Definitely say we're going to remember next year and then absolutely backflip and do the complete opposite on lockout night and in the preceding weeks when we, uh, or the succeeding weeks when we, um, when we panic trade nine trades in the first three rounds. But Timmy, uh, you're a good man. We've been, we've been friends for quite a while now, so I'm glad we finally got to, uh, to get you on the JR podcast, mate. Considering the ridiculousness of our, of our group chat that we have with Patch, this has been, a very serious and subdued supercoach. It's not where I thought it was going to go, if I'm being honest with you. No, no, I thought it was, I thought it was going to go down all sorts of different paths and end up sort of R rated, but um, no, we've been, we've done very well to hopefully enlighten the supercoach listeners. And again, um, sort of from, I don't know, us official supercoaches in inverted commas. um, Yeah. Thanks to uh, yourself and, and the JR guys for all you've done for the community for, such a long period of time. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a different world not having uh, sort of Jock Reynolds there to lean back on, but I'm sure we'll see yourself, Patch, and, and you mentioned Damo and Clark. You're already um, starting their own little breakout. Uh, I'm sure you guys will continue to do great things and, and continue to be a part of the Supercoach community, albeit not under the, the Jock Reynolds banner. So um, thanks for having me on, mate, and uh, go Blues. Go Blues.